Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You climb to reach the summit, but once there, discover that all roads lead down. Stanislaw Lem. The single worst thing about climbing Kilimanjaro is climbing off of Kilimanjaro. Yeah, so like the worst. The summit day, like I said, we it was like eight hours to get to the top. I think it was just under four thousand feet of vertical climb on the last day. Yeah, to get to get up to the summit, and then you have to turn around and come all the way back down, and you don't stop at the base camp where you've spent the night before. That's five, like the final. Bra- yeah. Braku? Yeah, we took a nap, and then we got up, and then kept going descent down. at another 4,000. So you do like 8,000 of descent and you just... <laughs> it was, I, borderline I, mutiny, like borderline, like I'm going to set up, like I'm going to like just cowboy camp on the side of this mountain because I don't, and it's just a scree field. Like you're the down, yeah. the down climb is not a trail. It's just a scree field. I'm Doc and this is the John freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. 
This week, I am excited to be talking to Britt and Andy from Bad Hikers, who are on the podcast in season four to talk about some trail hijinks. Well, since then, they've been to Africa and back and have some stories to tell. Welcome back. How's it going, you two? Hi. Amazing. So good to see you again. <laughs> Absolutely. Same here. Same here. Now, where are you calling in from? Where, where are you located? We're in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. We, I think the, were we here the last time? Yeah, we I think we're, we had just moved here. Yeah, we just moved here. Yeah. We're, we were in Los Angeles before, but we made the move to Oregon like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome back to the studio. Has the, has the studio changed at all? You notice any differences? Well, I feel like uh, the last time there might've been a lower res photo of the John Muir trail <laughs> in the background. I think you've up <laughs> the photo, but it still seems like Palisades maybe. It's actually Evolution Lake with Evolution. Mount Mendel and Darwin on there on the right there. All there right. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. <laughs> it was more haley hailing when we were there. Yeah, it was hailing a lot when yeah. we were there. <laughs> <laughs> we're That's unusual. Hailing in the Sierras? No way. No way. <laughs> the, the Sierras this season is going to be uh, it, spicy. Yeah, through hikers this year, I think you're going to have snow through July or August. Yeah, I mean, this is the highest snowpack in the Southern Sierras in recorded history. I mean, it is yeah. just yeah. absolutely bananas right now. Yeah, we had a, I actually had a work trip to Lake Tahoe that got canceled because they told us they we might not be able to leave because <laughs> there was so much snow. So I think I think it's a I think it's going to be a year of of difficult snowpack of trying to get up Mather Pass. Yeah, now, Andy, there there are worse places there are worse places to be trapped than Lake Tahoe. I think you should have encouraged them to, you know, stick with their plans and let's go on the trip. That's fair. That's fair. It might have been a good I idea. I mean, based on some of the videos I've seen, though, uh, people's like roofs were collapsing because there was so much snow. It seemed a little bit dire. <laughs> Doc, do you think that through hiking season will happen this year? Oh, it's going to happen. And there, there's enough uh, slightly crazy folks that they're not going <laughs> to a little bit of snow slightly crazy. Away. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you gotta have some you gotta have some like avalanche and and uh in winter safety courses for the PCTers this year that I think are starting like now. That's right. Yeah, That's right. they're starting now. And what what is the magical date before you go into the Sierras? They're always talking about is it June 15th or July 15th? I think it's June 15th. June 15th. Yeah. I, I think that date is gonna be oh a little bit. I mean no June 15th, they're gonna get to the Sierras and it's gonna be just nightmarish conditions. No chance. I mean, even up here for us, we're we're mid mid April now, and we still have snow all the way down to two thousand feet. So I think the crew rolling into Kennedy Meadows at on the fifteenth of June is going to be staring at a two hundred foot snowpack. <laughs> and somehow, somebody told me that because of all the rain and the snow, that, that that does not bode well for fire season, which seems counterintuitive to me. But I guess with a lot of growth comes also the potential for for a burn later on. I'm, I wonder if it's, you get a lot of the fescue grasses that grow with all the water. And if it dries out in the summer, you have a lot of, you have a lot of gas. For materials. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's the last thing that they need. Yeah, seriously. It is setting itself up for an epic year on the PCT. High, snows, high water crossings, possible fires uh, as usual in, in the Northern part of the, of the trek. Doc, Good luck, everyone. Yeah. Doc, yeah. do you have any summer adventures planned? Are you getting back on the JMT this year? Not going to hit the JMT. This is going to be one of the one of the summers in recent memory where I have not been in the Sierras, but we are going to tackle a portion of the Tahoe Rim Trail. We're going we're to take on the Wilderness. So that should be fun. 
That'll be fantastic. We've been thinking of that for years. Yeah. Hopefully you have a good, clean, clean year. Hopefully. Hopefully. And you're going in August. Knock on wood. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Amazing. Britt and Andy, have you picked up trail names out there? You actually gave us our trail names. That's right. What were they? And now our friends use them. So I'm TMI and this is Panic. (laughs) They are genuinely calling us that. So it's stuck. Yeah. Wow. That I'm honored. I am honored that, you know, the names that I just threw out there based on our conversation have stuck and your friends have picked up on that and, and are calling you that. So it's stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently well, I, people thought they were fitting. <laughs> and are you happy with those names? I mean, I hate to, I, 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 I don't no, want to feel guilty so. about giving you names that you don't like. I think it fits. I, you know, I think, I think there's like the, the balance between how much say you have in your trail name and how much you don't. And I think, you know, we both denied a bunch of names, but when other people start calling you the names that, you know, the illustrious doc provides, it's a little bit, it's a little out of your hands at that point. Now, are they all listeners of the, uh, the JFM pod? I I believe they are listeners and also fellow, uh, fellow content creators and, and trail friends that were actually since, so they were part of our little trail family on the JMT, and we have since stayed really close. They actually flew up here to visit us last year. We did a hike on the Columbia River Gorge and camped out, and uh, we're all we're actually all meeting in a few months in Glacier. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, usually I have the guests explain how they came by the trail names, but I think TMI and Panic, I mean, they're pretty self-explanatory, right? We, and also, Doc, we can't re-explain the name you gave to us. You, you got <laughs> you to gotta, like clip it, that segment of your previous show, and you know, link it in the description yeah, below just, kind of thing. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you have been on this podcast before, so you know about the segment towards the end called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. Where each of you will be expected to weigh in with some trail wisdom to make our listeners' next outdoor experience even better. So love it. Yeah. Okay. The must bring gear review. Hey, did we do the must bring gear review last time? I think we did. Yeah, I think so. Was it sponsored by uh, the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs? Oh, I don't think so. Whoa, let's hear about it. Yeah. So here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand uh, for that piece of gear, even better. So TMI and Panic, what is your must-bring piece of gear out there? We'll start with TMI. Ladies first. So I actually have a piece of gear that we acquired well on Kilimanjaro that I think is good for this discussion. Oh, if you're not watching this on YouTube, she's going back to retrieve something. Oh. <laughs> this is a hot water bottle shaped like a bunny. And every single night when we got in our tent, someone would come and hand us this hot water bottle. And it was the only thing that kept me sane. <laughs> it looks like Winnie the Pooh. It does. It looks like a knockoff Winnie the Pooh with bunny ears, which I love. Yeah. And when Brittany says this is the only thing that kept her saying, she means it. This yeah. was this. She Absolutely. would fall asleep snuggling this bear and wake up snuggling this bear. Yes. Every night. Panic, yeah, you lost out. Up there. <laughs> you lost out, Panic. She was not snuggling you. She was snuggling the the uh, bunny water bottle. There wasn't a lot of high altitude snuggling. I mean, it was more <laughs> of like a like a race to who doesn't die first. <laughs> I thought that was a survival skill. That was something they teach you on the way up to Kilimanjaro is, you know, body warmth. A little bit. I mean, there was there was definitely a lot of warmth. We had an abnormally rainy, wet 
dreary yeah. trip. So we were pretty soaked to the bone every day. And, and then it just kind of progressively got wetter and colder as you climbed the mountain. Well, this is going to be one of our main discussion points later on, this trip to Kilimanjaro. And it's shaping up to uh, sound like you have a lot of stories about this. It was a, it was a trip for sure. I, I'll, I'll leave it with Brittany on the second day of the trip said, I'm not sure this is actually for me. And then <laughs> on the final day of the trip after summiting, we're laying in our tent. And she goes, maybe we should do Anconcagua. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of feelings. <laughs> it was a feelings filled trip. You know that that is the way the human mind works. It it yes. it forgets the bad stuff pretty quickly, yeah. and it just it, focuses it, on on the good stuff. It's shocking how quickly type two, type three fun, the the like romance kicks in, and you're like, oh, yeah. I kind of want more of that. Is that wrong of me? I mean, the best part about filming these kinds of things is like I'm going back through our footage now, and I had forgotten what disasters we were. <laughs> after summit night, like full, just wind burned to the face, like incoherent. There, so <laughs> there's also nothing better than looking back at filming segments where you're unintelligibly speaking to the camera because there's so little oxygen, but you at the time think know. you're just <laughs> speaking normally to this camera. And it's like, like you sound like a drunken sailor at 17,000 yeah, feet. Altitude brain. It all makes sense up oh. here, but oh. it's coming out completely <laughs> altered, yeah. right? That's crazy. Yeah, it was it was a wild ride for sure, but an incredible trip. So okay. wait, what's your piece of must? Yeah. Oh, panic. Hey, you're on the hook here, panic. What what is your oh. must? <laughs> Man, I mean, you took the. <laughs> I know. I I had the good one. You took the the dinger. I mean, after after this last trip, I will say, and this is this is the three of us on this conversation should never forget this. But we actually didn't bring enough sunscreen to this trip. And man, did I need more sunscreen. And it's like, for those of us trying to wiggle around being ultra light, you're trying to like get exactly the right amount of gear for weight ratio, just pack more sunscreen because <laughs> man, was I trying hard not to be sunburned at high elevation and failing. Failing miserably. Yeah. <laughs> Do not underestimate the amount of sunscreen that you need at high elevation. Absolutely. And you know what you know what I want to know is is why is why has nobody put together a combined sunscreen and bug spray application? Oh, because you might use the wrong one. <laughs> Or what if they're mixed in together? What That's if what I'm saying. They should be mixed together. That way you're not you're not doing two. Doc, this lot might have just gotten one way more profitable. Yeah, maybe you should hold on to this idea. Just cut this right <laughs> out of the podcast. Or bleep it. Yeah. Just keep it, but bleep it. I'll, I'll bleep this out. As you as I showed you earlier, you know, we are now, now sponsored by Sawyer. Uh, in addition to, the to their water. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a mirror situation here. I don't know. It, there it is. Okay. <laughs> But Sawyer, in addition to uh, providing excellent water filtration uh, devices, they also specialize in bug spray and really? insect repellent. Yeah, yeah. So maybe so, Sawyer, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, give me like a three percent, four percent cut. Do a combined bug spray sunscreen application. It'd be a big seller with the three. Doc, three percent is is pretty low. You got to start with like twelve because then they're going to dilute you down to six. Did I say three? I meant forty-seven. Yeah. <laughs> Non-voting chairs though. <laughs> All right. uh, well, Doc, you know, we've actually never tried Sawyer in all of our hikes and all of our through hiking. We've never tried a Sawyer product. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Sawyer's got to send us over some stuff and yeah. we'll, we'll give it a review up in Glacier and a little excursion we've got planned for the summer. 
I may have to bleep that section out. You can't, you can't, you can't uh, say that about, about the sponsor. Come on now. Send it on. We'll, we'll try right. it. We'll We're see. open to it. <laughs> Let's see. Travis and Sawyer, if you're listening to this, maybe uh, maybe we could hook TMI and Panic up with some water filtration devices. Our trail, our trail fam is very dedicated to the Sawyer life, so it, yeah. it will be present. Yeah. All right. It's the hiking pole. Hiking pole, and that's pole spelled P-O-L-L, two L's. Not like the thing you carry in your hand, but a survey. This is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, with one being completely insane, 100 being completely sane. Um, I don't think we did well on this last time. you did well. I think I failed last time. (laughs) TMI, did I ask you to give Panic a score before we get started here? Oh. um, What do you think? You know him best. So, I mean, where would he fall on that that scale? Is it 100 insane? The higher the score, the more sane. The lower the score, the more insane. Let it rip. I feel like this is hard to do because it depends on whatever you're talking about. Situational sanity. Yeah, it's situational sanity for sure. Well, so what do you got for me? What what's my score? Uh, you know what, TMI before before you before you let before you let loose with that answer, uh, do we want to share with our listeners what what you have in your future? Oh, we can. What's going on with it? What's going on with the two of you? Uh, so, well, we actually just got our email a few days ago. We got enchantment permits, which we're yeah. extremely excited about up in Washington. You so we're going to, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about hiking plans. I'm talking oh. about <laughs> lifetime plans. Are you trying to get us to say we're, we're putting off getting married? <laughs> well, if you're engaged, I don't want, I don't want TMI to give you a score and then panic to give TMI a score. That's going to, you know, kind of rock the boat here. So I, I just want to, Oh no, no boat rocking. Steady boat. We, we steady are boat. Okay. incredibly bad at planning things that are not hiking. So we, you know, went to Kilimanjaro instead of planning a wedding, which just keeps, you know, happening. We'll figure it out eventually, but much to the dismay of both of our families. And then this summer rolled around and we got several rounds of permits and, and lottery successes. And we're like, maybe next year. Yeah. You know, we've got stuff to do. That's right. We've got yeah. stuff to do. Maybe All Doc, right. maybe we'll do an episode where you'll marry us on the pod or we'll go back to the JMT and we can do it there. <laughs> if you're serious, I will get my ordained minister license. off. Hiker of trash only. Hell, and yeah. there's no invitees. You can just meet us at Evolution Lake. Love it. Hiker trash wedding. That's that's the way to go. Yeah. Heck yeah. And we'll all sleep in the in the porta potty the night before to make sure we all qualify <laughs> for hiker trash status. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or on your flotational device on the lake. Yes, we did. We did see somebody on a thermarest in in a lake on the GMT. This is true. Yeah. All right. TMI, well, did you ever did you ever let loose with a with a a score for panic a, a pre survey score? I heard a whispered seventy five. Yeah. 75. That's generous. <laughs> that's generous. Just from, from what I know. Panic, how about you? What where, where, where does TMI score? TMI is a is a is is a very a very uh <laughs> low on the crazy scale. On the oh man. She she's somewhere in the I'd give her I'd give her low 40s. Wait, wasn't Oh, okay. more insane the yeah, higher more insane you go. The higher you go. Yeah. No, okay. no, 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 no. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. Oh, One, screwed up. 100 is completely sane. Absolutely bad. Oh, you gave me a 75 under that context? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I 
75. And I'm, a, I'm a C student in the, in the insanity school. Yeah. The TM, TMI, did you just say you called me batshit crazy? Is that what you said? Maybe. <laughs> I'll, I'll, Sorry. I'll give you, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, yeah, like a, yeah, like a 60, 70, somewhere in there. Oh, so we're like right on the same level of crazy. I think that we're crazy about different things. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we are being so vague with these answers. I, <laughs> Sorry. All right. You know what? It's time for me to be the judge of your, your sanity level. So All I'm right, going to ask you seven questions. We need a third now, party. You've been on here before. So we're going to go to, to uh, the B set questions. Ooh, I was yeah. going to say, I think the first round, there was something about socks and bed and no, toilet, paper. toilet paper, which I yeah. wasn't even aware that there was right with. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, well, those are the questions I asked you before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then, then we're gonna go to the, the, those are the the set B questions. We're gonna go to set oh. A. Yes. All right. <laughs> all right. There we go. All right. So these are all hiking related. We're gonna find out which issue, which side of the issue you fall on for each of these. And you know, I am the arbitrary judge because it's my podcast. I am the arbitrary judge of of uh, that's fair. Where, where you're gonna fall, which side you're gonna fall on. If that's the good side or the bad side. And in addition to giving your answer, it's always best to give a little explanation as to why you go that way. Cool. Okay. So we went with TMI with the uh, must bring gear review first. We're going to go with panic on the first question here. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Ooh. I always bring them. I don't always use them. <laughs> Already difficult, aren't you? <laughs> I'll say yes. I'll say yes to trekking poles. This is a lie. You almost never use trekking But I always bring them. You never use them. <laughs> I use them to set up the tent. Yeah. Panic, panic. <laughs> there's no hiding here. There's no hiding because she knows she knows she knows. I, I, I almost never use them. I use them constantly and he never uses them. But I always have them with me. So but uh yeah, uh, score me how you will. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about that. I will. I will. <laughs> now panic, why don't you why don't you use trekking poles when you're hiking? Um, I think, I think I used to use them a lot more. And then when I started filming a lot more, I stopped because I didn't, I didn't like always having to put something away or like tuck the poles under my arm and then get the camera. And then you're kind of, it, it just kind of turned progressively more into a habit of wanting to film more and be ready to film shots that I wanted to film or take a, a photo that I wanted to take more than the usefulness of the pole. So he's sacrificing himself and his knees for his art. Some some would say. <laughs> but yeah, I think crazy. that's where the transition happened. <laughs> now, have you seen the Google cars that drive out there and get the whole street view? Yeah. Yeah. They should have a rig like that for, for hikers that are really concentrating on their art. I mean, you, you could use your poles and you, GoPro, you, just, like head. you just take in, take in 360 everywhere of where you're going. I think that's the Insta 360 stick that people just like <laughs> duct tape to the front of their pack. And it's just like blasting the, you know, the whole trip. Yeah. I, yeah. It's gotta be some kind of action cam that you can stick on a helmet or something. I think that after the descent on Kill on Killy. We should have brought an action cam. It was yeah. a mistake. We were not prepared for how tired I was going to be to film something. <laughs> it seems like at the end of trips, there are fewer pictures, right? You're just, you're oh, getting to the end of destination, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I've noticed that it, too. It tapers aggressively. For sure. Yeah. TMI, you said you do use hiking poles. Yes. I'm a dedicated hiking pole user because I'm also somebody that trips, falls, is always, you know, face first in a bush. You know, it's just, it's good for me to have hiking poles. <laughs> okay. This is true. Yes. Question number two, going to go with TMI here, boots or trail runners? What's on your feet? Trail, trail runners. runners. Both of you. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we uh we insisted on wearing trail runners for yeah for the majority of Killy. Um, and the guy who was checking our gear was like, no boots, and we're like, no, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not trail runners. It worked out great. We only wore choice. boots for summit night. Yeah. So the Kilimanjaro hiking community has not caught on to the whole concept of trail runners yet. I think they're more concerned for people that aren't very experienced hiking. Just- just deciding to wear trail runners not yeah because a lot of the guides were wearing trail runners but yeah yeah i don't know they really strongly recommended like mountaineering boots for the whole thing which was in my opinion completely unnecessary but for the time of year that we were there too yeah that's also true yeah but yeah both of us trail runners pretty dedicated yeah are you are you lone peak people hokas what do you what do you what kind of trail runners Neither. I think at this point you're Solomon. you're Solomon and I'm uh, La Sportiva. Yeah. Wow. We're, we're not we're not uh, we're not uh, converts to the zero drop. Yeah, uh, it just hasn't <laughs> worked for me. The toe spreading thing. I don't know. I I know it worked great for some people, but it's it just hurts my foot. <laughs> yeah, I had a guest just swearing by by the. Um the ultras, the lone peaks because of her misshapen feet. Quite a a bit of time talking about the shape of her feet, um, which was really interesting. Amazing. Did you get a cast, like a cast made of the foot and sent in? (laughs) She's responsible for one third of the Bigfoot uh, reports in the Pacific. (laughs) I love that. All right. Question number three, back to panic. Uh, when it comes to your sleep system, I guess it's going to apply to both of you because, uh, sorry, it's not your sleep system. It's your shelter system. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys use a tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or just cowboy camp? Uh, tent. And yes. we're using the Z-Packs. Ooh. I don't Duplex. Duplex. The yeah. duplex. Okay. And who carries the tent? He does. Um, but I, yeah. We usually try to divvy it up. It's usually... Yeah. It depends on also if there's a bear, if there's a bear vault involved. Yeah. Or it kind of depends yeah, what ge- other it, gear we're carrying. And it also depends now on like how many multi-sport things we're doing. Like a lot of times now we're fly fishing, pack rafting. There's like multiple things strapped to the pack. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like. It's it complicated. We do our best to kind of make it a, an equal Tetris game. Yeah. And so when you are multi-sporting, what, what is your base weight for each of you? Oh dear. Oh god, it's we, getting worse. We've got to figure this out because like we said we're doing a, a Glacier National Park trip this summer and it's a pack rafting trip and It's a pack raft fly fishing hiking trip where we're doing a circuit that we've invented ourselves. Yes. Um that we called the ranger and they were very excited about cuz no one's done it yet. So So we'll see how this goes. Um <laughs> but I think I think with fly fishing and pack raft stuff and our normal so our normal base weight just hiking 
Well, actually, like the normal, the the pack with everything, including camera gear. Mm-hmm. Both of us are in the like twenty-seven to to thirty pound range. Um, that's with everything, like a liter yeah, and a half of water, food, food the yeah. worst. Um, but then with fly fishing and pack rafting, we're kind of in that forty-five. Well, the pack raft is like eight pounds. Paddle, <laughs> PFB, it, it stacks up quickly. Camera gear, lenses. Yeah, you know. Uh, TMI, you know what, when I go hiking with my, my, uh, 25 year old son, he carries more. I, I give him yes. more gear, <laughs> yes. so, you know, just a little suggestion. You know, we, we have a, we have a trip this summer that we're taking my mother on actually. And that was, that's her plan as well. That's also been yes. her plan since my birth. My, it was, it was just to be a porter <laughs> for, for my mother's backcountry adventures. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, All right, now let's get to the sleep system. Do you guys use a sleeping bag or a quilt? Quilt. Quilt. Mm. Quilt from both of us. Enlightened we, equipment. We were skeptical and then we got, yeah, our enlightened equipment bag, uh, quilts for the JMT and we absolutely love them. It, yeah. It's, I think, one of the better pieces of gear we've ever bought. Yeah, I think so too. Do you each have your own quilt or is there just one big quilt? We each have our we own. Each have our own. <laughs> All right. I don't know how cozy it is in there. I'm just asking. The duplex is very spacious, but Brittany tends to get a little unruly with her gear inside the tent. So you That's know, you got to you got to make like the dividing line in the middle, create some orderly. I'm like a starfish. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and here comes TMI. All right. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it worked. All right. Question number five. Uh, when it comes to food. You stove people, cold soak or stoveless? This is a very important question. Well, we're stove people, but we see the benefits of cold soak. We just haven't done it yet. I would also say half the meals that we generally are eating are cold soak. So we're only stoving for like like a lot of mornings. We'll do like cold soaked oats. Yeah. And then in the evening we'll do mostly stove stuff otherwise. But you're still having a hot meal at night. Yeah. And hot coffee, even more important. Although, you know, if I could bring cold brew to the backcountry, I would. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, this is a question for each of you to answer individually. Is life better above or below the tree line? This is question number six. Ooh, is That's that a good question. question. You you go. I won't, oh, look. Okay. I won't look at you. You won't look at me? Okay. I... I, I... I feel like the most interesting stuff is above the tree line. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it just gets like real wild up there. Yeah, above the tree line. You know, funny enough, I agree with you. I agree with you. But if you're above the tree line, people, that's like a point deduction. You you lose some points on on the survey, even though I agree with you. For sure. (laughs) Without a doubt. If, if you if you had said below the tree line, you lose even more points. I mean, there's just no there's no winning. (laughs) There's no winning. Yeah. But uh, I agree. I, I I love that beautiful desolation above above the tree line. Yep. Yeah, it's special. It's Nothing in your way. Yeah. Really cool about it. Yep. Gives you the feeling of how small you are. Okay. Now, panic. Question number seven. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? I don't have any luxury items, but pack weight's also gone out the window because you know a pack. You have a boat you're carrying, a fly fishing rod. Like at this point. Uh, ultralight died years ago for us yeah i feel like a fishing rod could be a luxury item that's true you know unless you eat the fish and then it's kind of utility it's a luxury item yeah. that's fair yeah 
And same same with you, TMI? Um, yeah, because I mean, I, to your point, like, now that I'm like carrying a pack raft, I'm like, can I really say like, <laughs> base weight's important to me? <laughs> I, th I think the caveat would be, we tried as hard as we could on the JMT to be as ultralight as possible. And the education of that, and then like the gear honing from that has left us with like a really hyper optimized, if we just go backpacking, it's, yeah. it's a very light pack, especially without a bear vault. And like weekend trips, we're at, you know, a 20 pound pack. It's with everything. It's, it's pretty, we're pretty efficient, but now that we've started doing combo sports and like custom route building, it's kind of now just out the window. And I will say with this trip that we're eventually going to talk about on Kilimanjaro. Yes. It was the first time that we haven't been carrying our own gear. And so we brought some extra things that we wouldn't yes. normally. And it was quite nice. Yes. <laughs> like the like the teddy bear that they filmed I with mean, warm water. Yeah, we, we didn't bring those. They they brought those, which was a nice surprise. But yeah. So I get it. I get it. When when you have to carry the gear, you're mindful of the weight. But when you've got porters, you're like, oh, <laughs> you know what? Another five pounds, another 12 pounds. That's going to be fine. They're not we have some people in our group that brought like six charging battery packs just in case they needed them. And the porter was like, looked at her like, you got to take these out. Yeah, I'm not carrying 15 pounds of lithium up this mountain. You know? Now, how much does this raft weigh that you're going to be carrying on your next custom adventure? Eight pounds. I think it's eight pounds. Yeah. We each have one. We each have one. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you carry that instead of a tent and a sleeping pad? I mean, you're just going to sleep underneath <laughs> the raft. Sleep in the raft. You can know, you think you just inflate it and then flip it over and sleep right. underneath it. Yeah. That's not a terrible idea. I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> nope. It's just an addition. It's it's like the we're getting the most out of the hyperlight pack that you can physically get. You know, there's now like a raft, like paddles stuck, a fly rod coming out of one side. You know, it's like, yeah. It's morphing. You can't even see the pack anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Stand by, you two. I've got to do a little bit of math. We're going to take your answers. We're going to feed them through the John Freaking Mirpod algorithm. Whoa. And we're going to score for each of you. So uh, stand by. Here we go. I got to carry you need a little soundboard here for like the do 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 That's right. Yeah. I've got to divide by pi. We're going to multiply by root three. And we're going to adjust for the percentage of disdain in the porter's eyes as he is looking at these oh, six oh, packs. Oh. <laughs> On top of uh, Kilimanjaro and TMI, you come out with a very reasonable 72. Yeah. Very reasonable person. It's pretty high again. And Panic, it's just slightly lower, 64. 64. This, this feels accurate. This feels, this feels accurate. All right. Fantastic. Okay, let's, let's before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Remind us all where you guys grew up. Uh, a little bit of your background. How did how the two of you meet? And did one of you convince the other one to be an outdoor adventure person? Or are you just I, uh, both naturally like that? Um, I definitely wasn't naturally like that. I think that I said this last time, but I consider myself a former indoor kid. Basically no outdoor experience. I liked the idea of the outdoors, but I didn't grow up in a family that like did a lot of that stuff. And I had never been backpacking until a year before we did the JMT because Andy and I met uh through Burning Man which I think we also said last time um and then at some point he asked me if I'd like to hike the John Muir Trail and I said yes and I had not done any backpacking and then a year later we were on the John Muir Trail she was like how have I ended up here but it was great 
changed my life. <laughs> Burning Man to JMT to Kilimanjaro mm -hmm. to the altar. I mean, yes. that's that's the logical progression. That's the way it works. Easy on the altar part. <laughs> I'm getting there. It'll be more like a tree stump by a river. <laughs> Some kind of altar. Maybe maybe Burning Man. Maybe we can yes. all meet a Burning yeah. Man and, and, and do the ceremony there. I, I love that. This is a potential. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you guys grow up in the Pacific Northwest or are you down, down South? No, we, I grew up in Southern California. And I grew up in New York. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was in Southern California for most of my life. Briefly moved to San Francisco pre-pandemic for like six months. Then pandemic started and went back to Southern California because he was there. And then we both decided to move up to, to Oregon. We finished a through hike and we're like, let's uproot our entire lives and change everything. Yeah, we need more <laughs> nature. Let's go. <laughs> now, did you guys meet at Burning Man? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, we were in the same camp. Um, so there was some prep beforehand because we were building a, an art project on the playa. Um, so we interacted once yeah, or twice. We, but... We've met a couple times, um, but I was planning to move to San Francisco after the burn. And uh, yeah, we we kind of just fell in love at Burning Man and then decided to do long distance post-burn, so. <laughs> now, despite your hiking proclivities, you seem like pretty reasonable people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but go on. So, and, I, and I can say this because my sister went to Burning Man for I don't know how many years in a row. And she also worked on art projects and supported uh, stuff like that. But yeah. How did each one of you end up at Burning Man? How how do you go from your upbringing in Southern California or in New York and say, you know what, I'm going to this thing. I'm I'm gonna see what this is all about and sign I me think, up. I think for me, I had I had been, I think I had found out about Burning Man around like early early teen years and like was dying to to understand it, see what it was. Um, much like through hiking, I love strange niche culture stuff um and so w when we when i moved to southern california i just accidented my way into a group of friends that were all pretty dedicated and historically lifetime burners and yeah yeah and you just went and then i happened to be um a co-worker of, of one of those friends and then her friend and she was like hey you should really do this but no one could properly explain to me what it was. And so that was very intriguing. I was like, why is everybody's answer about what this is so vague? Like, you can't possibly understand it until you go. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to go then. It, it's very similar to through hiking. You get, it's a very similar, you know, when you're trying to explain to someone what a through is, there's some vague utterance of, you know, it was awesome. You just should go and check it out for yourself. And I feel yeah, like the burn is very similar. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. You don't, you, know, you don't know until you have, I know we have some listeners right now, maybe, maybe five or 10 of them are going, what is this burning man thing? There? <laughs> <laughs> so TMI or panic and panic. Can you give us a summary of, of an explanation of what burning man is? Yeah. So, I mean, you go to the middle of the desert in Nevada and uh, construct an entire city in the desert. Um, in about seven days. In seven days. And then just enjoy the city. There. And then you take the city apart and you leave. And you burn it to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doc, the answer we're giving you is you just need to go. <laughs> just need to go. What What do you, okay, let me ask it this way. What do you get out of Burning Man? What is, what is the attraction? 
I, I can give my answer, but yeah, go for it. I, I got I routinely get out of Burning Man the same thing that I think you get out of a through. And it's like the sense of of wonder of what's possible, of what you're capable of, um, an adjustment on your perspective of what comfort really means and, and what comforts you do really need and what comforts are really just kind of an illusion. Um it's it's very very similar to my feelings about through hiking it's in, in the outdoors in general i think it's a, a mentally and spiritually expansive place to just experience yeah i think at, for everyone at some point like you you have to get out of your daily routine and away from the stuff that is familiar and just like ha- the thing that i loved about burning man and that i love about through hiking is it's like it's so far removed from my day to day that like all the stuff that feels so important and frustrating and stressful in your day-to-day life just kind of evaporates. And you're like, wait, did this really matter as much as I thought it did? Or is it just because I'm kind of like bogged down with all this daily minutiae? I think that's exactly right. Yeah. It's like a re, uh, I think the best, uh, one of the best descriptions of uh, something like this that I've heard is it's like you push the snowball down the hill and you keep pushing it and then it builds a track. And so the snowball just wants to keep going down the same track, even if you try to push it in a different direction. And I think through hiking and the burn often act as a catalyst to create new pathways of, of life and experience. Yeah. I'm not sure what snowballs you guys are playing with, but uh, I, I've never <laughs> They're potent, I'll tell you. They're yeah, potent. No kidding. No kidding. Hey, am I allowed to ask what, what kind of activities occur at Burning Man or is that yeah. like, Ask away. He's so he. You want to go so yeah, bad. I, I you know, this I, is one of those. I'm asking like, all the questions of you that I, I am uncomfortable asking my my sister about. So, well, I think so. For us, the way that and everybody does it in their own way, and so I think I think the first thing and maybe most important thing about Burning Man is it's entirely your own ride. So what it literally is whatever you want to make of it. It's a it's a city that's built in seven days, and you go do whatever you want in that city. So. And most of, like, all of the camps have, like, a thing that they do. So, like, we had... um, Like, an art piece that we spent a lot of time doing. Yeah, we did the, the, like, stage show, like, the comedy and, like, kind of... um, So, like, our camp has lots of artists and comedians so that we build, like, a stage and we host programming throughout the day that's, you know, open mic night and things like that. And then, generally, there's you know, I spend a lot of my time looking at all of the art, like traveling around to all the different places just to see what people create because the, the scope and magnitude of what people are building is, is crazy. It's incomprehensible. Like if you haven't been, it's like you're in your head, you're like, I see everybody's seen videos or pictures, but when you're standing on like a flat, endless piece of desert and you realize that someone built this 15 story building, that's like architecturally sound, people are inside of it. And it's an art piece filigreed and hand detailed and they built it in seven days and they're going to take it down seven days later. It's just, you know, it's a, I think it's a a feat of human ingenuity and engineering. So there's a lot of the enjoyment of that, I think for me. Yeah. I had no idea that Burning Man was about stand-up comedians and architects. That that is not (laughs) what I, not the image that I had in my mind whatsoever. I'm so glad that you guys were able to explain this to me. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of good ramen on the playa. <laughs> oh yeah. Super good ramen. Also everything's the like radical, you know, de- decommodification means like you can't spend money, but everybody provides food and whatever else they provide. So 
You know, there's yeah. some of my favorite camps have like a, a grilled cheese day. There's pizza day, you know, just bike around and meet people and hang eat, out, eat their food, eat their food and other things. <laughs> All right. Hey, did you ever meet Laura and Mark? Do you know, John, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know several Johns. Same. Also, much like yeah. through hiking, the like the, there's a naming culture. There's a naming culture at Burning Oh, Man. yeah. So it's called a playa name. So most people have a playa name that. So I'm sure your sister does if she has been multiple times. Um, and so she would not generally introduce herself to us as whatever your sister's name is. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> All right, I'll have to find that That's out. And then, and then on on the third episode we do together, then I'll be able to share that name with you and see if you know her. <laughs> At the wedding. Yeah. What What are you, you said ply? A pl- playa. Ply. Playa. 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 What, what are your playa A-Y-A. Are you allowed to, is it like the Barkley? You're not allowed to talk about this? Yeah. You, you know, if you have uh, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. That's right. You have to revoke your membership if you, if you, <laughs> you have to turn in all this paperwork. It's a whole process. Yes. Now, I think we both, you both mentioned work in some fashion here in our discussion. What What do you do to pay the bills these days? Um, well, I work as a marketer at Meta for now. Um, everybody's watching the news. Is that the name of the company? Meta for now? Meta for now. No. Um, Currently. You know, there's, we'll see in two months if, if I'm still employed there, but that's what I do now. <laughs> and uh, and I uh, operate a production company. A production company. We make... Uh, uh youtube videos that are much more successful than the ones that we make yeah ours are just a fun side project yeah (laughs) panic if you work for a production company how come how come your youtube videos are not to that same standard because what i do for the production company is not what i do for bad hikers (laughs) yeah they have a whole camera crew and a team of editors and all sorts of stuff that we it's 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 on the fancier end it's more like uh like hollywood production and i i help operate those are the people making those videos that make us all feel so bad about our own videos that we post to youtube yeah something something like that (laughs) all right hey we're gonna take a quick send our videos to them and and let them critique yes (laughs) All right. On that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from the sponsors and we come back. We're going to get down to your trip to Kilimanjaro. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the back country to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, 
Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back. Talking to TMI and Panic. And, you know, we've mentioned a couple of times Kilimanjaro. So what what uh, inspired you to conquer this mountain? Ooh. Well, I, I think a lot like the JMT. Like, the Killy had been on my list for a long time. And post-COVID, some of the, like, ways to sign up to climb so Kilimanjaro you have to climb or generally you have to climb with a guide company so you can't just show up and and walk up the mountain um and after COVID it had been a little bit strange trying to book with some of these companies and they were kind of doing these like rolling groups where if the group filled out then you'd get a notification that it was going to happen some stuff like that so um we had been chatting uh TMI and I were I think it was in like June like this the summer maybe yeah and it sounded very far away and very hypothetical. Much like the JMT when I said, do you want to hike the JMT? And she was like, yeah, for sure, whatever. And then, you know, a year later we did it. Uh, in June, I was like, hey, I just signed up to to like to climb Killy. I don't know if we're in, but I put a deposit down and we'll see. And she was like, oh, great. That sounds fun. Over And we did it for a month over. We were in Africa for a month, kind of the last two, two or three weeks in December, beginning of January um and then we found out in september that that we the group had filled up and it was going to happen and And then we had to actually and then i was like do you actually want to climb kilimanjaro (laughs) she was like and i was like that's really tall um (laughs) no she didn't say that she was like absolutely let's do it and then it was then it like cascaded into well when we're there we should go on safari and i was like oh yeah we should definitely and it just kind of like went from this 10-day trip to like a month-long month-long excursion to africa yeah how awesome how awesome is that now i have some questions some some follow-up questions here as podcast hosts do (laughs) as as they are known to do so what part of africa for our listeners who may not be familiar with kilimanjaro it's in tanzania um 
which I believe is the second largest country in Africa. Um, yeah. And I, I know that geography may not be a strong suit for a lot of our American listeners. On so, the on the southeastern part of so like so like the southern kind of round of Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. It's next to Kenya. Yeah, just south yeah. of Kenya. Uh, Zanzibar is the coastal part there on the east coast. So if you think of most people know where like Madagascar is, it's just a little bit north of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Now, how affordable was this? Not particularly. Um, I don't know. I, I I feel like it's expensive, but it's also for what you get. Like, so there's also multiple. So you costs. guys, you guys did a safari. You did a safari. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was say, if someone just wants to do Kilimanjaro and they're leaving from the states, what are they looking at in airfare and actual cost of the expedition? So that so I can answer that. So the expedition was, um, I believe, like forty eight hundred per person for a eight day itinerary that includes all your food for all eight days, um, the hotel stay on the, on the first, like the front end and the back end. So like when you start and finish, that also includes, um, like obviously your porters, all the meals I said, um, they provide you a tent. Um, so I think 4,800 per person, something like that was the, that doesn't include tip. Um, but that was the that was like the just the expedition cost per person. Okay. Yeah. And what is the what is the round trip distance from the start of your expedition till you, till you return? Uh, hiking hiking miles wise. Hiking hiking miles. Uh, I believe it was thirty two miles, 30, 36 miles. I have it on my watch actually. Yeah, it's it's like I think it's less than forty. Yeah. If you're, if you're in the ballpark. Um. Yeah. Sounds about right. And airfare wise, um, I mean, it definitely depends on where you're flying out of from. Also, these days, airfare changes like. I know it's it's wild. <laughs> I feel like I, I can't figure out what anything costs anymore. Um, but I think it was like twenty five hundred uh, round trip. Um, and it's it's quite a haul to get to Tanzania from the West Coast to the United States, as I think it turns our, out. Our tickets ended up being about two thousand each, something like yeah, that. Twenty five hundred. Yeah. Something like that. How and it nice was to be how nice to to be to be involved in an industry where you can just arbitrarily set whatever price you want depending on you know time and also have no real quality control other than the plane flies like it's <laughs> it's it's like a fascinating industry for truly sure. truly um but it was we we flew direct into Amsterdam from Portland and then we flew direct from Portland into there's a really small airport uh basically in the town of Arusha at the base of Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Well, the nearest town to the base of Kilimanjaro. You flew from Amsterdam to Portland and then to Africa? Portland to Amsterdam, Amsterdam. Yeah, Atlanta. okay. All right. And, uh, yeah. It was almost it was I like- I thought you were leaving fall. something out of the story there. Oh, no. <laughs> we did spend 24 hours in Amsterdam, though. Yeah, we did, which was a nice break because uh, thank God two nine-hour flights. And if we had done those back-to-back, I think I would have died. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a long haul. It was, long it, was a, it was 24 hours, 20 hours in the air getting there. Now, how many porters are assigned to each of you? So we had a climbing group of 13 total, and the support staff, which includes the porters and the guides, was 55. Um, so it was a big group of people. So it was, and this is gonna be an approximation. 
in the beginning, they they walked us through this whole, like we met every one of the 55 people, but I believe it was eight guides for the 13. So the, of the 55 total uh, crew, it was eight guides, um, I think 25 quarters, and then they have uh, the remaining balances all what they called like the the camp camp, camp crew it was so there was like a like a camp guy in charge of like overseeing everything construction breakdown every day of all the tents the bathrooms all that kind of stuff kitchen oh and then the kitchen crew yeah kitchen crew. so it's probably probably like 20 dedicated quarters for just gear 15 camp and then probably 10 um kitchen and the remaining are guides and also I should say there is for the gear that you have the porters carry, there is a weight limit. It's not just like you can give them whatever the hell yeah. you want to bring there. There is actually like, this is how yeah. much you can. And so on, on the first day of, of the expedition, you leave the town in buses and you get shuttled up to uh, like the national park ranger station where there's, uh, I believe, members of the military and like local authorities that go through every single bag. And so the way we chose where, like, what guide company we wanted to go with, or it's basically a, a like a co-op, like a co-opted um, porter company that abides by ethical regulations, and everyone gets paid equally. And the like, things like the gear weight have to be under a certain limit, so nobody can carry too much weight. And so the first day is actually just you go with all your gear and hang out for like six hours while each bag is weighed. And if it's over, you take things out or they'll redistribute it across other bags and that kind of stuff. Now panic. I've got some questions on this. So <laughs> in terms of, you know, that's the great thing about being a podcast host. Is it, As a podcaster plan, does. It, it, it helps me plan my next trips. So I, I have all my questions <laughs> answered. I'm ready to go. I'm good to go. But in terms of, of the gear, what what are you required to bring and what do they provide? Ah, so uh, frankly, like your JMT through hiking kit is what they require. Yeah, basically. As like um, a baseline. Plus like snow pants and a yes. heavy summit jacket. Yeah. Um, And they do like recommend you actually bring two base layers and wear double base layers um, as you do the summit ascent yeah and, and so it's it's your jmt kit plus a summit kit and so one of the yeah. one of the difficulties of or maybe not difficulties but like specificities in the gear for this is you're you're preparing for where you're starting is kind of like jungly like you go yeah. through all of the the life zones so you're starting you know at seven eight nine thousand feet you're driving up the mountain you start your hike around 10 and then you're kind of going up and down but the final day the, the summit day you're up over, you wake up at 15, 15 5, feet, yeah. and you go up to almost 20,000. I think, I think it's the summit's 19,349 19, feet. 19,3. And so like our summit night, you know, I was wearing um, like Scarpa mountaineering boots um, with base layer, really heavy trekking pants, wind pants, and then like a snow pant. And like an actual mountaineering parka and the wind was at 40 knots and like it was maybe 15 degrees, maybe zero with wind chill and was cold. Yeah. Though we had really bad wind yeah. the night that we we went up. Yeah. Um and then you know, to the second what, part of your what question. Do they, yeah, what do they provide? What they provide is um, well, kind of actually everything. You so can rent any gear everything. that you don't have. So basically they've got everything that would be yeah. in that kit and you can opt. So we opted to rent sleeping bags because we didn't 
our sleeping bags that we have, we weren't sure if they were going to be, um, we were kind of like good for the, for where we were elevation wise. And so we just rented the sleeping bags from them. We rented the sleeping bags. You don't have to rent a tent. It's just like, that's part of, they don't, they don't let you bring your own tent. So it's, that's provided. And I think the sleeping bag or sleeping pad is provided too. Yeah. They don't require you to bring a sleeping pad. They, they provide that as well. Although we did bring an additional pad and I was very, my, the like accordion ones. And I was yeah. very happy we did. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, but some people just showed up and like head to toe, they just outfitted in everything for, for rent. Yeah. Got it. Now it sounds like from your previous comments that they also set up bathrooms and there's also uh, kitchen and cooking going on for you. Yes. Yeah. So bathrooms are sounds like, thing. sounds like, sounds like glamping actually. <laughs> It, it was wild. I, cause we've never had any kind of experience like this where there's like a base camp and somebody else is managing it. And there's like food being cooked for you. And I was like, wow, this is fancy. Like we would show up places. They'd be like, you're going to hike to here. And then we're going to give you some hot tea. And at first I like didn't understand what was going on. And like, we literally would arrive somewhere and somebody would have set up a table with, with a spread of cookies and hot tea. And I was like, where did this come from? Like, what is going on? And See, that's the just, way to do it. When I got the Mather Pass, I was looking for a Jamba Juice. You know, where right? is the where's the celebration? You know, I, I it also, did not happen. I also can't overstate, like, the, the like, level of, um, I don't even know the right word. It it was nice to that like you're being provided hot tea like it was incredible. Now every time I want to hike and I don't get hot tea, I'm like kind of Real upset sad. about it. <laughs> but the level of attentiveness and care that the crew provided to all of the hikers was like, yeah, yeah, better than like any nice hotel that you've ever been to in your life. Like I've never been care- like a great example. This is silly, but I I think about it all the time. Like on Summit Night, we're hiking up, um. And one of the with the guys, his name was Sta, was like walking next to Brittany and just saw Brittany hiking slowly. And like, you know, on the side of your pack, you have like your two water bottles, like in the sides of your pack. He just like, without, t- it was pitch black. And I was hiking behind her. He just like pulled her water bottles out of her pack and like put them in his pack. And yeah, because they had, I didn't realize they had frozen like completely. And it was just weight. Like, yeah. So it was just a giant ice block I was carrying. And he just, he was like, this is too heavy. And just like took it and carried it up. And when you needed water, just like, it was just like the level of like, you're being observed like every second to the most degree. Yeah. I felt like incredibly safe because our, our guides were phenomenal. It was, it was the best. Yeah. Cannot say enough good things about our guides on that trip. Yeah. It it was, it was jarring how well you're treated actually. Yeah. I just like, cause yeah, you're doing medical checks every day. Like there was just a lot of like procedures in place to like, make sure that everybody was really safe and comfortable, which like in that kind of environment where like Kilimanjaro is very odd because it is like hikeable. It's not technical. So you get a really, really wide range of people on the mountain doing it. And so it's like so important for like the people that are taking all these people up to like really keep an eye on stuff because you're not necessarily hiking with a bunch of experienced mountaineers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think of our group was probably 50, 50 of the 13 hikers in our group, about seven of us were very experienced and six were extremely unexperienced. You've got people like you who are very experienced. Then you've got people like Panic's mom who's walking <laughs> right next to you. Who would have been panicking? <laughs> yeah. I think she would great. Now, or TMI, I have, I have a question for you, a follow-up question. And that is um, the the water bottles. Yes. When they're liquid, 
do they weigh the same as when they're frozen? You know, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But it just seems I mean, the way the way you described it is that they, they got frozen. So he took them, you know, they're just too heavy. So they took oh. them. Yeah, no. But it just seems right. heavier, right? Carrying a block of yeah, ice yeah, seems, seems seems heavier. heavier than carrying a bottle. He also of ice. didn't take them out because they were frozen. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. no, it's he, just in my mind. No, he he took he like came up to her and just like was taking weight out of her pack, being like, you know, you're getting tired. And like Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was just funny because like I just the reason why that stuck in my head was because I had no idea they were frozen solid. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my god, like wait, how cold is yeah. it? Because like at some point you just like don't know anymore. Oh, you just okay. like, your brain goes into full. See, I'm glad you like, said, oh my gosh, how cold is it? And you didn't say, oh my God, that's why my pack is so heavy. They're <laughs> now frozen. Okay. That, that that makes me feel a little bit better. Okay. Like I okay, said, so, high so, elevation, my brain wasn't working properly. <laughs> that's right. It, and you know, it's helpful having porters because I know, and you know, from being at 14.5, just just taking a breath at 145 that i mean it 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 is rare air up there at 19,000 feet i mean it, that had to be exponentially a little bit more difficult i like and truly like it was you i went fully into like meditative yeah. like the the like climb to the top was we were moving so slowly and it was just one foot in front of the other and it got to this point because you're like going up and there are so many false summits on the way up to the top of Kilimanjaro. And we started hiking at midnight. I don't think we got to like the edge of the crater until like 830 in the morning. Yep. And so you're just walking in the dark with like 60 mile per hour winds like for hours. For and hours. It just... I was just like staring at the ground, like one foot in front of the other. I completely lost track of like where I was or what was happening. And you're just like spaced out entirely. Yeah. Like it was really wild. I think, I think for us to the JMT has, has this really beautiful effect where like uh, elevation, it matters and it, and you can feel it, but you get almost the elevation profile of the JMT acclimatizes the body really well you kind of do the like up donahue back down you know and then you're at reds and reds is at like six thousand. you know and you kind of you kind of actually have a very natural progression into acclimatizing even if you have some maybe daily bad side effects i think one of the hardest things about killy that i would say to anybody that wants to do it other than you should do it it's amazing is you get dropped off a bus at ten thousand feet and you don't come back down and it's like, we we have done a lot of elevation now and our bodies have a tendency of doing particularly well at elevation. And like, I was fine through three days and all of a sudden on day four, I was like, we were over 15, 16,000, 15, five at the yes. lava wall. Yeah. And like, lava all of a sudden I was like, man, I'm nauseous. And I like have no appetite. I can't sleep at all. And it just like, it, it, comes out of nowhere right and and i think one of the things now in retrospect and we've we've watched a lot of people talk about Kelly and other really serious mountaineers that have climbed you know eight thousand meter peaks in the himalayas and around the world all talk about Kelly like it's hikeable it's super easy but the acclimatization like you just start and you just live over fifteen thousand feet instantly and like it 
catches you off guard like really quickly like really really quickly and it's such a short window because if you're yeah. in like everest or something like that you're up there for weeks going up and down yeah. up and down up and down and this was like six days and then yeah. we summited and which so really is five days it's like it's long enough that you're gonna yeah. get screwed up by the elevation like right. you're not just like running up to the top and short enough that you don't actually acclimatize so what we were recommended to do was take Dynamox. Right. You didn't take it, and I did. And, like, the difference oh. between the two was, like, it was immediately apparent. Yeah. And But the thing about Dynamox is you can only take it for, like, eight, a certain amount of time. Like, yeah. eight to ten days before, like, you start getting permanent side effects. And, like, I took it the first day, and I was like, oh my God, I can't feel my face or my hands or my feet. Like it was so terrifying. And like, I talked to um, our head guide and he was no, like- Hang on, hang on TMI. Yeah. So you you said that panic did not take it. You took it. And yes. the the you said you noticed the difference immediately. I'm assuming that even though you couldn't feel your face, you, you felt better in terms of yeah. your wind and It was like rocket hiking? fuel. Yeah, yeah like okay. it was- Really so it's a trade-off. Wild. It's a trade-off. I can't it's feel my face. She was like, I, I feel invincible, but I, my feet and hands are tingling. My teeth are tingling and I can't my feel my face. My teeth were tingling. Like, I was See, that's, like... That's how I know that I have enough DEET on my face. Is <laughs> my, my face is numb and my teeth are tingling. That's when I, I know that no bugs... Sawyer, so if you're listening, numb. we do need that part fixed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's interesting. I mean, there there is a, an, a decided benefit, but there are some some interesting side effects yes it, um, it was also highly like the those side effects were highly contingent upon if you were staying hydrated enough yeah and, so you need to stay extremely hydrated um if you're on diamox it because it just like the, what diamox is doing is turning your blood acidic and so by your body's natural process of trying to expel the acidic nature of your blood you call it are lightly hyperventilating so it makes you breathe faster which is actually what acclimatization is a process of just your body naturally taking more breaths so at sea level you breathe a certain way and that's how you get a certain amount of oxygen in your blood and so like you you like you have to stay hydrated or else your body is just like really struggling yeah know, acid blood trying to expel your blood this all sounds very iffy to me i don't know <laughs> i yeah i it was very iffy to me yes. too but like i I don't know that with the the shortness of the window to get to yeah. the top of the mountain. Yeah, I don't know that I could have done it without the Diamox. And and I like for me, so I didn't. So the, they start everybody like when you start the hike, everybody takes Diamox, and there's a certain amount that they start everybody on. And so one of the challenges with Diamox is it's not a curative; it's a preventative. So you have to front load it into your system. But if you then get sick, you can't just take it and it fixes the problem. Ish. So I didn't take it through the first, first four days and then started to experience questionable side effects of, of high elevation sickness and, and acute uh, like haste and hape symptoms, like right on the verging of it, which is really dangerous. Like you immediately have to come down. And so I spoke with our guide and he was like, here's a double dose, like take it, go to bed. And if you wake up in the morning and we'll, you know, you have any issues, like we, you know, yeah, we'll see. Down. Yeah. And so I was, I was fortunate that like, I took a double dose of Diamox and like woke up and was like, it is like rocket fuel. You're like, yeah. whoa, like, <laughs> that, all right, let's like ready to go. Um, but it's definitely, a, you know, the condensed elevation, non-acclimatization window is very, very difficult. Yeah. 
for sure. <laughs> Got it. And you mentioned false summits. And I just want to let all of our, our aspiring through hikers out there know that false summits are the bane of any hiker's existence. It is, it is hell, hell on earth out there in the backcountry, And just, you know, just get yourself used to the fact that you think that's a summit. It's not a summit. No, it's not going to be a summit. Your expectations are so important out there in the backcountry. If you lower your expectations, you just say, you know what? That's not the summit. I know it's not the summit. I've got like seven or eight more summits to go that uh, <laughs> until I get to the real summit. Just expel all expectations. That's right. You're going to be a much happier place if you just lower those expectations and realize that is not, that's not the end point right there. Yeah. Yeah. So and, true. And Kelly in particular, it's because it's a, the, the fall summits, it's obviously a stratovolcano and so the fall summits that you're seeing are like the explosion, the previous eruption lines. So like it will flat top. So you, you really are hiking up and it's like a very clear ridge line. And you're like, oh, there's the summit. And you crest it and then yep. it goes in and there's another mountain and it just, it keeps windling its way in. And, you know. Yeah, it was wild. I like after the, after the second one, I was like, I'm not looking up for the rest of this hike. I'm just looking at the ground and I don't want to know what's going on there. And then, and then one of the, one of the tragic things about hiking at night or the benefits of hiking at night is you're looking up and you see the headlamp, the head torch snake going all the way up the mountain and you see it end, which is why in pitch black, you're like, there's the summit. And then you crest that, that rim and there's another, you know, mile and a half, you know, thousand feet of headlamps and you're like, Oh God. And when that happens three and then the fourth time, you're like, like she said, head down. I'm not looking anywhere. I'm just looking at my feet. And when someone says stop, I'll stop. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, our like our guides were so funny because our groups and people in our group were like, we really want to be on the summit at sunrise. And they just like looked around and they were like, Yeah, that's not gonna happen for this group. <laughs> they were like, okay. they were like, it's nice to want that. Great, but uh no. Um, I so, mean, in the water. So there were 13, there were 13 yeah. people in your party, but yet you saw miles worth of, of headlamps. How many, how many yeah. people are on the mountain at any one time? So they, they said that there were 30. So our like set off date, right. Um, there were about 30 parties total. So 30 times 50, each at 55 people, you know, do whatever the math is, but there was about a thousand people, 1500 people on the mountain just on our route roughly at that time. Yeah. A lot. So it's, it's a lot of people. It's a lot. it's a, it's such a different experience because like, yeah, every time you like go to base camp, there are a ton of other base camps around you and yeah. a lot of other people. And so like it does, the mountain does feel like weirdly crowded some of the time you're like, yeah. wow, there's like, <laughs> and, and when you get to, I mean, we, I've obviously consumed a lot of outdoor content and, and mountaineering content. And you see like the, the different camps on Everest where there's all the different companies camps, right? There's like a North face little circle of tents and a Patagon, whatever, whatever, whatever. It was our first time experiencing that. And then you get to certain parts of the hike that have true bottlenecks. There's a section called the wall. It's this famous, yeah, you know, vertical cliff wall that you have to hike up 1500 feet. And, you know, we sat, and watched the procession a mile back. We didn't even try to start hiking it for four or five hours, just watching the progression of people because it's like, it's dangerous. There's no reason to sit on this cliff face for, you know, the next six hours, wait till everybody passes. And it was our first experience, I think, being on a trail where it's, there's actually like multi-company logistics happening and multi-group logistics happening. And 
we're so used to just kind of putting stuff in our backpack and venturing forth. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was an adjustment. For sure. All right. Sounds like a lot of type two fun. Did you experience any type three fun out there? I don't know that we had any type three fun. Um, I think, I think so. So the second to last night, um, when we got in the tent, I looked at Brittany and I was like, I, you know, just so you know, if, if the symptoms that I'm having, if I wake up and they're the same or have gotten worse, I'm probably going to have to go down the mountain because I'm experiencing, uh, uh, acute altitude sickness. Um, and I woke up and I felt better. Right. And so it's like, you know, your body, your body turns the corner and kind of tells you that. So I think that I think I was verging on three, three being that like you're actually in danger. Um, but I think it was pretty type two. Yeah. I mean, we did have the conversation that night of like, I'm going to have to go down and like, yeah. you should you, go, you should go finish. Yeah. Um, and so I was like mentally preparing myself to like summit without him, which was not what I wanted for that trip. Um, so I'm very glad that you recovered. We did it. <laughs> now I can envision that that conversation go one of two ways. Panic is saying, Hey, you know what? I might have to go down tomorrow. I want you to keep going. And the other side of that conversation is, TMI saying to panic, you know what? If you have to go down tomorrow, I'm still going. I'm still going. To <laughs> I'm, I'm not going. I'm not, I didn't come this far just to stop now. It, it is. Yeah. It, it is. <laughs> I think one of the greatest things about our relationship is that's 100% the truth. It's like, <laughs> I'm fine. Like, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to have to walk backwards off this mountain. Like, you're, you know, 14 hours from the summit. Like, like absolutely it's and a long 14 hours <laughs> wasn't long i mean the single worst thing about climbing kilimanjaro is climbing off of kilimanjaro yeah so like the worst the summit day like i said we it was like eight hours to get to the top i think it was just under four thousand feet of vertical climb on the last day yeah to get to get up to the summit and then you have to turn around and come all the way back down and you don't stop at the base camp where you've spent the night before at five like the final yeah Baraku. yeah we took a nap and then we got up and then kept going descended down. another four thousand so you do like eight thousand of descent and <laughs> <laughs> i borderline I, mutiny like borderline like i'm gonna set up like i'm gonna like just cowboy camp on the side of this mountain because i don't and it's just a scree field. Like you're the down, yeah. the down climb is not a trail. It's just a scree field. We actually on the way off the summit, the the guy that we were with was we like, not supposed to say yeah, it. but it was like, we were like, okay, like we're trying to get back to base camp. And he's like, let's go this way. And yeah, we're just surfing down a scree field for like yeah. what felt like four hours. <laughs> it was like two and a half hours. We did, we did, I think I, I clocked it. We did 2,500 feet of descent on a almost near vertical scree field. So in scree field, when we say that, like you would take a step and slide, you know, another four or five feet, take another step, slide, and you're kind of dragging your back foot to like prevent too much sliding yeah. for 2,500 feet. <laughs> like it, it got to this kind of point where like our party was like falling over and skidding down the mountain. And it was like, <laughs> just like sitting down, like, I can't, I can't do it. Bury me here. Bury me here. <laughs> Yeah, but it was a it was a heroic final day. Yeah, you because you get to the like the staging camp for summit day, summit, come back, take an hour nap, and then do a full another hike down to you know the exit basically and just leave. Yeah, and then the next day you have to get up and keep descending. You go down another three thousand feet. 
<laughs> you you the in a 24-hour window, you're at 19,003, whatever the summit is, and just walking, no automobiles, you leave less than 20 hours later and you've gone down almost 12,000 feet. And it's just, you know, your knees at that point. Truly really wild. Yeah. <laughs> my calves have never hurt. I think I did get my hiking poles out of then. Yes. Oh, I now, did. now he uses the hiking poles. Okay. Yeah. That was it. That was the threshold. <laughs> yeah. 12,000 feet on Screefield. But isn't there something inherent about, uh, doing something like Whitney or doing something like Kilimanjaro where the ultimate goal is right to get to the top. You're like, you have all this excitement to get to the top, get to the top and you get to the top and it's like, take a deep breath. Okay. I'm here. I'm at the top. And then you turn around and you go, Holy cow. I got to get out of here now. I yes. mean, you oh, have spent all of this emotional yes. uh, uh, power getting to that point. And now you've, you've got the letdown of, I now I've got to walk for how many more days to get out. The of tank here. was less than empty. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's gotta be brutal. Oh my God. I mean, and like the, thing was like it was so physically draining like I couldn't eat I couldn't mm-hmm. drink like I had just been going for like it, it was a 13 hour day that day and like yeah barely functional like didn't even feel human anymore legitimately like didn't we were so tired that we weren't like we just didn't eat for the last 24 hours on the summit you're just so tired it's yeah. just like your body doesn't want food like you're trying to like choke down like peanuts or something, <laughs> like something to get some calories in you and it was just just like oh god and, and even like the the next day and a half after like you're you're just like you so you finish the climb you get down and like i said there's a, a hotel provided on the day before you start and the day after to kind of get all your stuff together and you know you take your first shower and i think we just kind of laid there and like well we did lay there because oh this is a funny story we got all the way off the mountain and went back to our hotel and the water went out right at the moment we got back and it's not like we got back like everyone that had summited that day and like that's the only place to stay like the companies book you into this hotel and you know it was like there was literally naked people in the in the hallways that have just got back from summiting kilimanjaro (laughs) haven't showered in in 10 days and like everyone just gets back, they get to put their duffel bags down. You get your certificate for climbing one of the seven summits. There's like a ceremony. There's like, it's really, really phenomenal. And then everybody puts their duffel down, goes into the room. And obviously the first thing everyone's going to do is shower and there's no water. <laughs> and you hear like madness, erupt, like just pandemonium. And it's not, it's not even the, like the, the bouginess of like demanding a shower. It's just that it's, you know that that's where you're going. You're going to go to have this shower. If I just didn't, if I was, if I knew I wasn't going to shower, nobody cares. But it was like, everyone. Lower lower your expectations, buddy. Lower your expectations. And and, And we just laid on the floor laughing. Like, it's just like, I can't. Like, it's fine. There were people in robes in the lobby that were like, I'm not leaving the lobby. (laughs) until until you turn the water on and they were like we it's not as simple as just turning it on they were like that's fine i'll wait and they're like well we have new guests coming they're just in their bathrobe like i'm not leaving until you turn my water on (laughs) it was a fiasco but it was phenomenal very funny yeah amazing so one of the seven summits done what what's the next one i think in concagua we've we've chatted a lot about it we really want to do uh I'm probably going to say it wrong. Vincent Massive in uh, Antarctica, yeah. but it's it's really expensive. I mean, I, I think this the the jump in cost. I think Anconcagua is very similar to to Kili in terms of price, 
Um, but I think when you start doing like Denali and, uh, and, and Vincent Massive, you're kind of getting into that like 40 grand range. It just like, it becomes yeah. a much different thing. Um, so I think in Kong Kong. need to be sponsored for those. <laughs> John, John for your pod. So, <laughs> so we're coming for him. Yeah. Uh, but I think Anconcagua is probably next. Yeah. Okay. And we should let our, our listeners know the seven summits, that's the highest summit on each of the seven continents. Yes. Yeah. We actually, Anconcagua so is in South America. Yeah. In the yes. Andes. Yep. yep. Yeah. We were, we were climbing with the, uh, Kyrgyzstan national climbing team, yeah. which was pretty fun. And they were, they were doing their summits, seven summit thing. There were a lot of groups with like seven summit gear on and like sponsor, <laughs> like sponsorship and like the. The leader of their crew was like the first guy up Everest from their country, and they were like very regimented. And you know, then there's us, just just like what's happening? I don't know. The Kurzakstanis, they're wild. It's a wild group to go with. They were they were a ride. They were such good people. They were amazing. (laughs) All right, hey TMI and Panic, you know where we are right now? Not sure. Forgot the segment name. The pro tip insight of the week. That's right, Half Calf. It's time for TMI and Panic to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. And this is a special episode. We get two to this episode, one from TMI, one from Panic. You want to go first? No, you start. All right. So we've recently experienced this, this phenomenon as we've started to add different types. So we've, we've, we've brought up several times multi-sport, right? And I think one of the things that we have experienced, and I'm, if you're a serious hiker, I think you probably have as well, where the app that most people use is all trails. And so a lot of people are going to pull up the map or pull up the app and they'll say, I want to go hike in this area. And so, you know, they'll see what hikes are listed on something like an all trails. Um, we kind of like hiked our way through what's on all trails. Um, and so we've started building custom itineraries and we've been using this app called fat maps um and really really enjoy it we actually just built a custom map for or a custom multi-sport expedition through glacier national park where we'll hike 25 miles we'll paddle another 25 and do this kind of big loop around the the northeastern part of the park um so i think what i would recommend my my i don't know if it's trail wisdom but if you're looking and you're feeling kind of like you're not sure what's left in your area, uh, Fat Maps has been a, a great new discovery for us that we're using. Not sponsored either. Just yeah. into it. Just into not it. yet anyway. Not yet anyway. <laughs> I don't think we're extreme enough for sponsorship. Yeah, especially not Fat Map sponsorship. Yeah. I feel like we've learned about that through like people who are doing like free yes. riding and free riding down like Norwegian <laughs> glaciers. You know, it's it's not it's not they're not quite targeting us yet. Yeah, totally. Um, but I think to build on that, like part of the when you get into the building your own itineraries call the ranger stations yeah. at the parks you're going to a lot of these rangers are really into this backcountry yeah. stuff they have a lot of great ideas they're happy to talk to you um about what you're one. planning yeah because like it, i mean it was so cool that like you got to talk to the the head ranger for the section of the park we're going to and like she was all about it. it on that to build on that like most of the time when you call into the park service you'll get um like the desk ranger so just like a general park a ranger that's there to answer kind of broad questions, right? Like entry, exit, openings, blah, 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 right? 
And if you ask specifically, if you tell them the specific part of the park you're going to, there's almost always, especially in Western parks, there's a backcountry ranger assigned to that part of the park that will have a much deeper knowledge of that specific area. So that's what we did for this, this area. Uh, we're going to be in the um, uh, mini glacier part of Glacier National Park, which is the Northeast Park. And so, you know, once you ask that person, they have, you know, they really spill the spill the tea on, you know, the do's, the don'ts. This lake's better than that lake. Oh, there's a waterfall here that's not on the map, you know, that kind of stuff. TMI and Panic, we just stumbled across the trail name for this episode. <laughs> well, I'm always on the lookout for a trail I name. Guarantee episode, you, right? the something, something, that, something that happens during the episode that just, you know, it speaks to me. And that's going to be the name of the episode. This is going to be Spilling the Tea with TMI and Panic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think I think that should be our reoccurring segment name. <laughs> yes. Spilling the Tea. It's going to be a new segment in the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Hey, want to congratulate the both of you for getting to the top of Kilimanjaro and back safely. And Thank want to you. wish you well on your upcoming adventure in the uh, Epic Glacier, right? Glacier is yeah. where you're going. So that yep. sounds like a lot of fun, customized adventure. Um, that's it. Just, just about it for this episode. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with TMI and Panic. I want to thank them for joining us this week. How can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? We are at bad.hikers on Instagram and badhikers on YouTube. And uh, we are working on a Kilimanjaro episode. So if you actually want to see any of the chaos that unfolded on the mountain, uh, hopefully we'll have that out in the next month. Yeah, May, end of May, we'll have that out. Or end of April. Is that being run through your production company, Panic? No. <laughs> no, it's okay. Just, just being run through me. Just, just, just Brett and I sitting right here after, after work, hoping for the best. I just want to know where to set my expectations. So, you know. Hey, have you watched any of the other content? You know, the bar is pretty high. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have any comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All right. Britt and Andy, I'm also looking you to share a recommendation for a book, movie, documentary, some kind of uh, outdoor media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. Uh, what do you have for us? We call this our adventure media recommendation. Well, I was going to suggest the volcano documentary we just watched. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Fire but, of Love. But... Shoot. What is it called? Oh, I thought Fire of Love. I got it. Yeah, you did get it. Okay. So new documentary uh, recommendation from us is... Uh, Fire of Love, which is a documentary about two volcanologists and their lives documenting volcanoes all over the world. And it's unbelievable. The footage is crazy. Um, And it's just a fascinating story of two people just doing the wild things that they really enjoy, you know, despite all the challenges of basically hiking up volcanoes, hiking into volcanoes, camping in volcanoes. The whole the whole nine yards. It was it's pretty incredible. Sounds like the two of you without the volcanoes, though. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert. Uh, they do die. So. Um, <laughs> wow. They're gonna know. They're gonna know. If you look at this movie, you know. <laughs> it's a real pick me up. All right. TMI. She lived up to her name. That's right. That's right.
What have we not asked you? And one last segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss tonight? Damn. I don't know if there's anything that we're that that I'm dying to tell. I think that um, I have something I'm ooh, dying to tell. I'm fascinated. I just signed up to be a ooh. citizen scientist to track pikas in the Columbia Gorge, which I'm very excited about. And I highly recommend that everybody look at their local organizations to see if there are any citizen scientists uh, volunteering work that they can do because I love this. it's really cool. And you can help a cool cause and also be out in nature and look for wildlife. Can you tell them the name of your Pika thing? What's the name of it? Pika Patrol. Pika Patrol. <laughs> TMI on Pika Patrol. I mean, what, how how else are you going to spend good days other than looking for Pikas? I mean, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Right? Anybody wants to hang out with us, that's where you'll find us on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess panic by default, you're also a citizen scientist. She sent me the link. I'm signing up tonight. Yeah. Yep. You know, he got so excited. I was like, look, I downloaded my Pika Patrol app. And he was like, wait, I'm sorry. What's happening? Pika Patrol? What is happening? You have a special <laughs> badge like four hours. Pocket badge or, you know, a, a oh, we're building custom Pika Patrol on it? 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The first thing I asked her was, does it come with a sticker, a t-shirt, and a patch? And she was like, I don't know. I'm just finding Pikas. And I was like, I'm on it. <laughs> All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Freaking Muir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, you two? What is it? What? Shout outs to friends and family. Baby. Shout out to you, Doc. Yeah. We, we miss you. One of these days we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a hike together. Yeah, for sure. Doc, also- when when is the John Freaking Muir pod hike hang? Like <laughs> like group group hike. Like what are you doing, man? You know what? Summer 2024. That's gonna that's gonna be an official event. Let's activate. Let's, let's do it. Start here. <laughs> We got we got COVID when we got home from Kilimanjaro, and we were like, "2024, it's our year." Just <laughs> next year. All right. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if the porter has refused to carry your six power banks, your fat map is frozen on the way up, and the backcountry ranger refused to take your logistics call. The trail is the trail. <laughs> Embrace the suck. That was good on the fly. That was incredible. That was good.